Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you today from You Need Us, Louisiana. And Ray, I think Louisiana does need us. It's just I think so, too. Here. I've been in Louisiana. I, I yes. Think Yes, you've been there frequently. I've been there enough to say they probably need this podcast. So if you're in Unitas, Louisiana, or in fact, any part of Louisiana, you should start listening up. This will be valuable to you. Anywhere in the bayou. (laughs) Anywhere in the bayou. Well, actually, I can't believe it, but we are starting season two. Uh, I guess the reason I can't believe it is I'm surprised we even started season one, but we did and it's there. So season two, what we want to do is kind of wrap up our theme of feedback. And something we hadn't talked about that I think we want to talk about today is how do you receive feedback in the most positive way possible, most beneficial, one that provides the best use of the information you're receiving. And something that we left with the last interview with Jen was the whole notion of how do you overcome or begin to reduce feedback adverse environments. We were saying that both you and I as consultants frequently encounter companies that their environment does not promote feedback. If anything, what we encounter are people, managers, leaders, executives who are adverse to feedback. And we said that probably needs to be addressed. And we thought this would be a good time to do it. And in fact, we had a bit of a conversation after the uh, interview closed on air and talking about this notion. So maybe you could kick it off, Bear, in terms of talking about some of the things we were thinking about on this idea of reducing a feedback adverse environment. Okay, Bob. I think one of the first things you need to realize that a environment that is positive regarding feedback doesn't happen by chance. It requires intentionality. It requires you to intend to create that environment because it's really, quite frankly, not natural to people. People are not familiar with it. Most of them are concerned. They're a little bit fearful when feedback is offered that they're going to get uh, hammered for something. So for you to create an environment which any form of feedback can be offered and people can receive it has to be done intentionally. One of the steps you might take is before you go there, Bear, it strikes me that you said it's not natural. I'd also say it's uncomfortable giving feedback, particularly when exactly. people think of it as giving it critique or when they're giving negative feedback. And we've tried to distinguish the concept of criticism, which involves an evaluative component to negative feedback. But what I've encountered is that people just are so uncomfortable with the whole notion of giving feedback. So I guess I wanted to add that to the notion of it's not only not natural, sufficiently uncomfortable that we avoid it. Exactly. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, And probably what that requires then is training. One of the first steps you could take to create that non-adverse environment is to provide some training and some mentoring on both how to give and receive feedback Mm -hmm. and consider it a skill. Begin to prompt people to realize this is a part of the communication skills that they need to be effective in their role. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's one step you could take, training and expectation that people will develop that skill. Another thing to me is you as a leader need to demonstrate, model the fact that you're willing to solicit feedback on yourself. So often in organizations, the leader exempts themselves from things they expect of others. But I think for any leader to show that they're open to that idea and committed to it, creates a more positive environment in which to ask people to receive feedback. 
And that's certainly something Jen commented on. I remember when you raised the question for her about holding people accountable with the kind of feedback she provided. And she said yes. And she even got into the place where she was asking them to hold her accountable with feedback and gave some examples from the previous organization she was in about the notion of soliciting feedback. And so I think you're absolutely right there that we need to set that model. Now, one of the things that I'm thinking about in setting that model of soliciting feedback is I remember working with an organization where we were doing 360 profiles and 360 reviews. And so that was their way of soliciting feedback on the management leadership team. I remember working with one specific manager when he looked at his profile and was just absolutely devastated by it in terms of the the, uh, negative feedback he received. And his, his comment was, I'm going to get them, take it again until they get it right. And so and so clearly, uh, he wasn't prepared to deal with the negative feedback he got, and he didn't deal effectively with it. Actually, I think the second step in this whole notion in, in the model is how you then approach the people who provide you with the feedback and how you share with them the feedback you've received. Now, really, it doesn't require explanation, but he did a terrible job of that as well. So maybe you could even explore that some more and talk about the notion of, one, you have to, you have to be open to receiving feedback yourself, but then how would you go about doing it in such a way that it does encourage a more feedback positive environment? Well, one example I have of uh, an organization I both read about and listened to the leader of is Pixar. And Pixar is truly a feedback committed environment. And people have learned that it makes a huge difference in their success. They're one of the few organizations that are committed to regular virtually weekly feedback. And they do it in project groups. But one of the things you know as a, as a project group member is that weekly you're going to get feedback from the rest of the Pixar organization. And one of the rules is you can't debate it. Mm. You can't fight it off. You have to receive it. You have to hear what's being said. And what they realize is that people aren't attacking them. People are trying to make them better. They're trying to make their product better. So every group that has responsibility for a single movie or project, they're subject to the feedback of the entire organization, and they know that they're not welcome to fight it off. Now, they're welcome to share some difference of view, but they're not welcome to say, that's not valuable and I'm not listening. You know, another detail that I remembered from the Pixar example is that in these meetings in which this feedback is openly indicated is going to happen, that they actually bring in someone from outside the group to give the feedback and raise the questions to address the issue of vested interest, to say this person doesn't have an interest. This is not politics. This is not them benefiting personally in some way by giving you this feedback. So that my understanding is that what Pixar does is in these groups, they always insert an individual who's not a part of the project to sit in and provide feedback. And it does strike me that that's a very useful model in terms of not only creating groups and say, we are going to do feedback, it is required. We're going to practice it. But also the possibility of bringing someone from outside that no one in the group can say, this person has a political axe to grind. This person has a reason to be dumping on us or promoting something else uh, because, in fact, they don't. And I always like that. So I think the Pixar example is a great example of how you begin to set up an environment in which you're promoting feedback as a part of everyday work. Yeah, and the Pixar, the leader of Pixar, has said repeatedly that he believes that one difference, the fact that they require feedback has set them apart in terms of their success. You were asking, what what could you do to create a positive environment? I think one thing you could do is you could require everyone in the organization to solicit feedback once a month Hmm. from a person of their choosing, so they don't feel like they don't have someone who's in their corner, a, a person of their choice about a specific issue or behavior. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that, and then your natural question to me was, well, how do you how do you check that out? Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that's happening? Well, I don't mm-hmm. think you investigate it and buttonhole people to make sure they're doing it. I think what you do is set the expectation by inquiring of the people who report to you, the leaders in the organization. What are they hearing? What are they watching? Are there people doing this? What success are they having? Then I might also at some point, maybe two times a year, three times a year, send out a survey, a brief one-page survey that's anonymous. I don't have to see a name, but see how people are doing with it. Is it providing any positive development on their part? Is it giving them information they would have been blind to otherwise? Those are things I would do to, to reinforce the importance of it and begin to create an environment where the expectation is we do it regularly. It's not a big deal. This idea is really an important one. And a fellow named Marshall Goldsmith in his book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, suggests strongly that you develop what I think he would refer to as an accountability partner. That in fact, organizations don't do a good job of providing feedback. So you as an individual, a leader, a manager, have to set up your own system for getting feedback. And he suggests explicitly that you find someone and set up a system where you get feedback on a regular basis. And so it does strike me, this is very consistent with what we're recommending is that people ought to do this. And the question, as you said, that I naturally ask you was, so how do you make sure that's actually happening on an ongoing basis? And we said, well, in your one-on-ones, if you're the leader, in your one-on-ones with the person, you can just flat out ask, how are you doing with getting feedback? Have you found someone? What are you working on? What have you experienced to date? And I said, I think even in a meeting, it could be appropriate where you say to the group, how are you doing on this notion of soliciting feedback? Any discoveries, anything you'd want to share that would let the rest of us know, hey, this is a good experience. I'm finding things that are really important about how I'm coming across. So, I certainly agree with that. And that fits with something you had said when we were visiting after Jen's podcast about the notion of setting up and encouraging opportunities for peer level feedback regularly. I wanted to explore that even more because we started this with the notion, one thing you can do as a leader is to solicit feedback on yourself and you demonstrate by modeling, hey, feedback's a good thing. I'm a person who's willing to explore it. I want to get feedback. I'm going to respond to it. I'm going to demonstrate. I'm going to take it input and begin to act accordingly. But then you were saying, you know, creating feedback on a peer level is really important and getting people to mutually respond to one another. Because that's, as we've repeatedly found in these podcasts, as in our conversations, it's that peer level of relationship that sometimes is the most complicated and difficult to manage in terms of communication. So any other thoughts there in terms of peer level feedback? Uh, well, probably not. I think you covered that ground pretty well. My response to our conversation thus far is like you pointed out, one of the reasons why organizations don't address this as thoroughly as they need to, is because people are so fearful. Mm. They're adverse because of the fear. So I think any effort you make that reduces that fear increases the likelihood you get a positive environment with regard to feedback. So the things I think we've suggested would produce more positive regard and uh, less fear, reduce that. Now, maybe we ought to pivot to the conversation about what's the best way to receive feedback, because we're close to being two-thirds the way through in terms of our podcast. So maybe you could comment on that. Okay, well, one of the things I'd want to say up front is that those who are comfortable with receiving feedback are far better at giving it. Hmm. So if your tendency is not to have received feedback, that you're not good at receiving it, I think it's going to limit or reduce your effectiveness at delivering it. So one of the reasons why you're going to plug into this idea of how best to receive it is because if you have to deliver it, 
you're going to be far more effective if you're good at receiving it. Mm-hmm. Now, to me, one of the principles principles of receiving it is that you focus on the content of the information that's being shared, not the person delivering it. Hey, isn't that easier said than done? Well, it is, but you got to take it as information and focus on what that information says to you. Is it specific? Is there something in that that I can clearly understand and make sense of? But if I react to the person who's delivering it, and it's a person for whatever reason that I don't connect well with, then I lose the content. And if I'm going to take the time to receive feedback, I need to make sure I get something from it. And that has to be in the content. So when someone approaches me and says, hey, I don't want you to take this personal, but yeah, what you you're saying is, yeah, don't take it personal. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, what unlikely. you just said to me. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to take this personal. But if you're hearing it, and here's another issue. You need to hear things that are offered as to you, not about you. Very often when someone intends to offer us information, we hear it as about us and get offended. But if I hear it as to me, that gives me some room to let it sit out in front of me and not attack me or not feel like it's assaulting me personally. Mm. That's another discipline. I think so much of receiving feedback is a discipline. You know, that's exactly where my mind went. And I was just going to say to you, well, that's a nice play on words, Bear. But at the end of the day, when someone comes up at me and says, I want to give you some feedback, or I don't want you to take this personal. And in our working relationship, it's not that positive. That's going to be a very tough thing to do. And I think what you're saying may be the most important thing to learn is receiving feedback is a discipline. You have to kick yourself intentionally into gear. And maybe it's not kick yourself in the rear, but kick yourself into gear to say, okay, I'm going to pay attention. My natural inclination is to not give this any credibility whatsoever and to get angry about it, get emotional about it. But I'm going to discipline myself, try to listen this out in hopes of getting something, in hopes of gaining information that will actually make me a better person. Yeah, conceptually, and again, it's a discipline. Conceptually, you need to keep it out in front of you and not let it get inside you. If you keep it out in front of you, you can pick and choose which elements of this you find, okay, that's pretty legitimate. That sucks. That's not it. Okay. But you can only do that if you keep it out in front of you and you don't let it get inside you where it begins to uh, generate a lot of ill will, uh, generate some negative feelings. One of the ways to do that is to clarify the feedback. You can ask for additional information. Okay. When you said that, when did you see me do that? What did you see me doing that caused you to react in that manner? What is my behavior that would have generated that idea on your part? If someone gives you something very nonspecific, uh, you know, you don't, you don't reflect any commitment. You don't seem to care about the work you're doing. If I let that inside me, that's going to offend me. But if I keep it outside, it's okay. When have you seen me do that? Well, what about my behavior communicates that to you? If you clarify the feedback, then it becomes more useful to you and has less chance of you reacting defensively. As you say that, it harkens me back to our some of our earliest episodes about listening and being active in terms of asking questions and clarifying what's being said. And we describe that too as a discipline. So one of the things that happens in my mind is I say to myself, okay, I've got to drop into listening mode. My inclination is to go on attack or my inclination is to get extremely defensive and shut down. But what I have to do if I'm going to benefit from this experience at all is to drop into listening mode and begin to use the discipline of asking questions to clarify, to get greater clarity to what's being said. And I really do like your notion of keeping it outside of you versus letting it inside you, because I think once that barrier is crossed, it does become increasingly difficult to deal with any kind of feedback. Right. Then you're wrestling with yourself as much as you are with the other person. Great observation. Uh, Another element of receiving feedback effectively is acknowledging the other person's concern. Now, I'd have to say sometimes I have to make that up. 
I may have to say to them, well, obviously you're concerned about me. And therefore, I want to make sure that I hear what you're saying. And I appreciate your concern. Okay. Now, sometimes people come at you and there's no concern in their voice. So I'll give them that. I'll provide them that so they can sense that I'm willing to partner up in this information, even though that wasn't their intent to give me a positive, concerned approach. For those of us that don't naturally do that, I can learn a script that says, obviously, you're concerned about me. Otherwise, you wouldn't say this or that. And even if I don't believe it for a heartbeat, I can at least put that out there. And it's my script that helps me get a hold of the feedback versus really help them in any meaningful way. But okay, I like that. I like your manipulative move there. Well, I think it, maybe another way to put it is you validate the sender's intent. Mm-hmm. You appreciate their willingness to share it with you. I think this is easy enough to say, I know that sometimes sharing feedback like that isn't easy. So I appreciate your willingness to do that. Ah, okay. That's another way to validate their concern. So the two lines are, I know that you're concerned about me, and I know this must not be easy for you. Right. Okay. I know that you love me and you don't want to do this, but <laughs> something like that. That's right. Right. And then I, I, then I think on my part, if I'm receiving feedback, I need to avoid defending myself. I need to avoid turning the exchange into a debate mm-hmm. because then it just becomes circular. I don't need to presume that this person has a truth of the world and what they're telling me I need to defend myself against. So one of the stances a good receiver of feedback chooses is not to be defensive, not to defend themselves against the information. And we would acknowledge very hard to do, particularly if we let it inside us. So if we make the first move to keep it outside of us, and then the second one is to really avoid defending. And that's almost what I've seen as someone's initial instinct. The moment someone offers feedback and it's of a negative nature, the person will come up with all kinds of defenses or explanations or rationales as to why that happened. And we just want to avoid that. What you're essentially saying, don't do it. Just don't do that. Just avoid that and stay in the moment. The moment you go to a defensive stance, you just escalate and reduce the value of the feedback. Exactly. So you don't want to discuss it away. And and maybe the attitude you need to have if it's someone who's particularly aggressive is I just need to make this the shorter, the better. I'm not going to say anything much. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to get into debate. I'm just going to let this be said. Not in, but just let it be said and hear it around me and and kind of let it roll. And particularly if they're bad at giving feedback. I mean, we've talked about what are the best ways of giving feedback. And if we try on the receiving end to ask some questions, we don't get any more information. They're no more specific. They're just complaining and they're berating, et cetera, et cetera. Our best strategy is just to try to end this as quickly as possible because it's it's demonstrably not going to get any better. I'm not going to get any more information. So the value of this conversation is dramatically declining every minute we stay in it. And I know that the resistance to that suggestion of just letting it roll, don't stop it, don't get involved in the debate, is I don't want them thinking they're right. So that's often that's what prompts this sense of this wanting to defend mm. and wanting to discuss away their view is that I don't want them walking only thinking they're right about this. Well, you're not going to change your view in any way, probably. So your willingness to listen doesn't necessarily reinforce their rightness, but it does reinforce that you're open Mm. feedback. Mm -hmm. And then, then I think at the closure, you need to make some sort of comment on willingness to maintain contact. Because so often the way people deliver feedback and the way feedback is handled creates a rift that's a gap that isn't easy to cross anymore. Hmm. So your willingness to make some 
extension of, well, I'll think about this and then maybe I can mention it to you again at some future date, mention how I look at that and how I've chosen to deal with that. Your willingness to make a, a kind of verbal handshake about appreciating and willing to maintain contact is an important part of not allowing feedback to separate, not allowing feedback to divide. Yes. And it strikes me that that particular move is especially helpful in this notion of creating a more feedback positive environment. Exactly. If our reaction to feedback every time is negative and shuts it down and says, we're not interested, that's going to contribute to this increasing feedback adverse environment. Well, listen, Bear, we are out of time. Going to say to our listening audience, we're looking forward to seeing Season two, and we're moving on to another topic, Gary, and we'll visit with you next week. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast.